and welcome to episode 48 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 15th of October 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. No failing again, he's got some family shit to deal with, but hopefully he'll be back next time uh, with thinking of you failing. So we've got an interview coming up later on, but before that, let's get into some news, and news that Phelim would have been excited about. Didn't we talk about this last time, the <laughs> release of Plasma 5.14? I'm not sure if we did. We talked about the release of um, Neon. 1804. Oh, that's the one, yeah. And and I remember because I set myself the challenge of updating my machine, which, knowing this impending deadline was coming, I did actually on Saturday. I sat down to watch something on Netflix for like the first time in forever and decided to upgrade, update my machine. And it kind of worked. I had to do it from the command line because the um, updater wouldn't work. Um, and I had to manually step through a load of things. But this is because my installation is... As, as I think I may have explained to Phelim, it's based on Kubuntu back in the day before Neon was uh, released. And so it's probably no fault of the Neon folks. And it did work eventually, um, you know, by about 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> and I, I now actually do have Plasma 5.14, so I can even talk about it directly. Although I don't use many of the features they're touting as being new. Although I don't like the background. That's the first thing. <laughs> I love the recent... Um, glut of backgrounds they've had with plasma i've actually kept them and it's been nice that they kind of change autonomously as you upgrade but this new one has got like some space galaxy picture poking through the kind of hexagon normal pattern algorithmic pattern they use and and i've had to change it but i can't find the old svgs um but other than that it seems like they've done some nice things with uh, the desktop screen resolution stuff and Discover, not that I use it, I use it on the command line, has lots of new features, including support for Snap Channels. Look, there's an advert. <laughs> yeah, Snap Channels and Flatpak support as well. So all of the uh, modern package management stuff in Discover now, which is good. But yeah, you're too much of a power user then to take advantage of that. I, to be honest, Discover crashes for some reason. It has done for ages. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a, the, my system, it's not so much flaky, but... I've, I, it's like years and years of, like I had to, for example, one of the things that broke was Vim and I'd forgotten that I'd actually built it manually. So of course, Perl and Python and everything had been updated and I'd broken all of my dependencies on that. So I had to <laughs> go around and download and build, build that, find my old configuration options. And I just hate doing this kind of stuff. And so that's what took me most of the time actually is manually trying to remember all the little fixes and changes I'd made. The same, I use the M-Track touchpad driver with a fork that means that I can get multi-touch and three-finger dragging on Windows, that kind of stuff, um, which is why I put things off for like four years when stuff's working. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's not so much a power user, although I, I'm just reluctant to use that term, but it's because so much other stuff I've changed that I can't seemingly use standard tools anymore. And good news for, uh, well, Lenovo and Dell, amongst other users as well, because firmware update is uh, built into Discover as well. So, uh, yes, get BIOS updates directly from the software store as well. Yeah, that's really nice. All right, well, let's move on and talk about my beloved XFCE and exciting news, exciting development news, and that is that some development has taken place. <laughs> this new XFCE 4-settings release which means uh, similar to Plasma, actually, you've got um, display profiles, which is nice. And uh, there's also XFC Screensaver uh, 0.1, which is an alpha of that, which is a fork of the Mate Screensaver, which itself is a fork of GNOME Screensaver. But 
it's not just a fork for no reason. It's got proper XFC integration and stuff. So not really of great note either of these, but it does show that XFC isn't dead and makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside to know that there is actually some development happening, but it's not ridiculous new features. It's just kind of incremental improvements. Well, that's kind of your whole thing, right? It works, so don't break it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be nice if we could get to GTK 3 or 4, Dare to Dream, and stay relevant. But, you know, that's a, a long path when you haven't got people working on it full time. So it's it's good to see that development is ongoing, even though it is fairly slow paced. But I think it's quicker than it has been previously. So maybe I won't have to move to Mate or Plasma anytime soon. And so the uh, the trifecta then, I suppose, let's talk about GNOME. And they are getting rid of yet another feature. Yeah, so this is getting rid of the application menu that's built into the, the top panel of GNOME Shell. And I think that it's it's actually quite hidden. And the one of the reasons they gave for getting rid of it was that people, well, first of all, people don't really know it's there, uh, which I think is absolutely true. And the other one is that they then have the the applications which have their own menus, either via a hamburger menu or via um, like an inline menu at the top of the window, and then this other menu. And typically, this other menu has had things like quit in it and uh, and not very much else. So not only is it difficult to discover, it doesn't really offer a whole lot of use. So I think actually getting rid of it is the right thing to do. But isn't that only for GNOME applications that it doesn't have much use? If you're using other applications within the desktop environment, then they tend to have more stuff in there. Uh, I mm, I don't know. I mean, I live in a very GNOME-centric world. Um, I tried different browsers, and, and they all don't seem to use it. So I don't know. Um, they have said that when they do re- remove this, this option, that things that still use it will have a fallback option. So you will still be able to get to the things that were in that menu from a menu with inside the window itself. So it's not like these applications are just going to stop working. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think that it's going to have a huge impact. And you don't personally care or professionally care then? You don't think it's going to impact your day-to-day life or Ubuntu? Well, I quite liked the global menu when it was there in Unity 7. Uh, and then when the option arrived to uh, move it from the global menu to the top of the window, a la Windows 95... I went down that route because uh, I thought it made sort of more sense to me. So personally, I don't have a great affiliation with that menu at the top left-hand corner. But equally, I don't really like hamburger menus either. So I think there's going to be some some UX fettling to be done here to really get the experience just right. Fair enough. All right, well, let's move on and talk about Redis. Now, Redis Labs is the company who makes Redis. And they decided fairly recently that they didn't want companies making money from their software. And so they added this thing called the Commons Clause to the license of some of the modules for Redis. And that is a bit of an Orwellian name because it has nothing to do with Creative Commons. In fact, it makes the license not OSI compliant. It's not properly free and open source software anymore. What it means is you can use the software and study it and have most of the freedoms of free software, but you can't make money from it. And I think we talked about this at the time, but now those modules have been forked from just before the license changed by Chris Lamb, who's the Debian project lead, and Nathan Scott, who is a Fedora developer. 
And the reason that they've done that is so they can include them in their distros. And they've been on a bit of a PR campaign about this. They've been contacting various media outlets, including us, to make sure we know about it. So what do we think about this? Uh, what do we think about Redis Labs doing it in the first place? I'm confused about how the upstream community are going to deal with this, and indeed if the upstream community will continue to exist. Um, and then for companies that are trying to sell services around their product, they're presumably just going to move to this new fork pretty quickly. My concern, and I replied to Nathan and Chris about this, was if they have forked these modules from before the license changed and they intend to maintain those forks, they're going to potentially run into trouble here because they have to do clean room implementations of any fixes. So if there's any security advisories or whatever on these modules, then they can't even really look at those. Otherwise, Redis Labs could start saying that they've copied code and all the rest of it. And Nathan replied to me about that, and he said that those modules are pretty mature at this point and hopefully not going to need that much in terms of maintenance. And quite frankly, they're hoping to just force Redis Labs' hand here and make them Mm. change the license back and, well, effectively just remove this commons clause and go back to the permissive license. I think it's an Apache license that they're under, um, and that would just solve the problem. And it seems like that would just be the sensible thing to do. I don't know, are they just going to dig their heels in Redis Labs, though, and, you know, just not change the license at all? So when we talked about this, um, it, we, none of us was certain, and I think I, at the time anyway, had some sympathy with Redis Labs trying trying to make some, you know, trying to make some money that may may even ensure their survival. And I quite like this move because it means that it kind of calls out Redis Labs to see which side of the fence they were on. Uh, are they going to become aggressive? Are, you know, are they going to take, are they going to be one of those militant enforcers of the, of the word of the license as they in, interpret it? Or are they, yes, as you say, I think, do the, the better, more pragmatic thing and say, well, this was maybe may, may a bad move done in, for the right reasons, but we're going to, you know, change the license. And, and if it's, if it's the former, then the fork is a good thing. And if it's the latter, then we all kind of win by having had a conversation about it. Yeah, because it does set a bit of a dangerous precedent, potentially. If they add this commons clause and it goes well for them, then other people will do the same. You know, other projects that want to protect their financial interests could do the same. And the bottom line is that it's not a properly free software license once you add this clause to it, because you should be able to do whatever you want, even if that's be evil or make money from it. Yeah. And I... The thing is, I'm, I'm sure someone will tell me if I'm wrong. I can't think of an example where it's actually, you know, worked to the benefit of the company that's done this. It reminds me a lot of of Trolltech and Cute over the years and the way that they've, you know, flirted with proprietary licenses. You know, things like the profiler modules and things they tried to charge for or charge support for. And in the end, they've done the right thing and defaulted to GPL um, after experimenting and. Maybe this is the case here, but if it, when has it ever worked for a company that's tried this kind of strategy? I don't. I can't think of an example where it has. No, it seems to me that if uh, I think I said this last time, if you're going to be proprietary, be proprietary. Mm. If you're going to be free and open source, be that. You know, if you want to do a Microsoft or whatever, maybe that's a bad example now. 
Uh, we're going to get onto them in a second, but you know, be a proprietary company, yeah, and and just have no bones about it. Don't try and be a bit of both. It's fine. None of us are bothered. You know, we all use proprietary software. It's 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 not a big deal. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Microsoft, then this is the biggest news of the last week, and that is that they have joined the Open Innovation Network and donated. Well, not donated, but given sixty thousand patents to the cause which means that anyone else who's a member and you can join for free will be protected against these patents as long as they have something to do with the Linux system, whatever that is. So presumably uh, we're all in agreement that this is excellent news and there's definitely no sinister undertones from this at all. I think it is. How can it not be good news? Now, I know that there's going to be all kinds of complicated conversations around what Microsoft has done and is still doing in some cases with its patent portfolio and whether it removes any of the risk to Linux. I don't think any of that changes, but I don't think this can be painted as a bad move in any way. You know, it's Microsoft doing something that moves it closer towards embracing open source and Linux. Ding, there's that word embrace. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is ultimately good. There's, there's no doubt. But the motives you have to question here because the first thing that comes up is Android. And Microsoft have historically made a lot of money from Android, more so than a lot of Android manufacturers or manufacturers who ship Android phones at least. Uh, I think decreasingly so over the last couple of years. And maybe that explains the move here because although they haven't explicitly said it, it pretty much means that they can't continue to make money from Android. Um, so that's got to be good. Although the FSF have got um, quite a sort of cautiously optimistic take on it. I mean, obviously they take it too far saying that Microsoft should take all the money that they've made from Android and other <laughs> Linux patents and like use that to fund the abolition of software patents generally, which, come on, guys. <laughs> give it a rest. Can't you just be happy for once and not have to take it too far? But I think the the first point that the FSF make is that they want Microsoft to make an explicit promise that they are not going to fuck with Android anymore. Because the thing is, like, they could still fuck with the OEMs who are not part of the OIN, the Open Innovation Network. So um, I don't think they would because it would be really bad PR, you know, Microsoft. But... Um, it would be good for them to explicitly say that they're not going to do that. Yes, it would. It would. Um, it'd be wonderful. I don't think Microsoft in its history has ever taken the initiative, and but you know, it's basically putting itself at a huge risk by saying something like that. And it probably feels like it's done enough in the last few weeks, and you know, put that kind of announcement on the back burner. I don't know. I can't possibly try to anticipate what Microsoft's business reasons for doing this are, but this, that's what it will be. Um, I mean, it's the same with GitHub and, I don't know, uh, Simon Simon Phipps actually, he thinks it's, this is generally a positive mood and also thinks that Nat Friedman is effectively the canary for our kind of open source interests in the, in the Microsoft e ecosystem. I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that, but it would be nice to think that someone like Nat Friedman has still got our back in case Microsoft you know, changes its mind or has a change in strategy without us realizing it. It all boils down to Azure, doesn't it? Where their long-term money is coming from. Well, that's it. I think that the the patents that they have 
pooled with the rest of the uh, the group members i think are reflective of their focusing back on azure and you know the cloud um business side of things uh, and move well, perhaps not moving away from but um less focus on on the other things that they did uh, i i used to understand that microsoft made a large percentage of their money from things like Office, uh, and certainly from Windows on the desktop. Uh, and from what I read these days, that the Windows income is certainly on the way down, and and perhaps, you know, way down. Um, Office, I imagine, still brings in the money, but um, probably nothing as compared to the cloud. So, yeah, why not? Um, why not sort of throw a bone to the rest of the open source community? And uh, and perhaps encourage a bit of innovation in those sectors when they can focus on the cloud and the money that's uh, that's obviously out there in that side of the business. Yeah, I mean it's, they're not mutually exclusive either. They can still continue to make loads of money from Office and a little bit from Windows and some from Xbox and a shitload from Azure. You know, or Azure. I never know which one it is. We had this last time. <laughs> um, uh, too many Americans that I hang around with. Well, I think this is definitely good news anyway, although I am, like the FSF, I'm cautiously optimistic about it. Um, all right, well, final news story is that there is now a Chrome OS tablet, the Pixel Slate, which was announced along with like new Pixel phones and boring shit about um, home assistants and whatever. But this is a new one. This is Chrome OS on a tablet, although it's not really a tablet. It's kind of a, um, what do they call it, two-in-one because you can buy a really expensive keyboard for it. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's a new direction for Chrome OS. It's not just boring laptops. And, you know, then they had the touchscreens, and now they've gone full-blown touch, haven't they? Yeah, based on the prices that were in the articles that I've read, it's up there with a really sort of high-end um, Dell or Lenovo full-on laptop. You know, you're you're talking... $1,600, I think it was, or maybe 1300 but a significant amount of money for what I would have considered to be a low-powered device. Now, I guess they're trying to break that impression that I have, that it is not just this low-powered device which you would sling in your bag and use for checking your email, but it's a serious workstation. Um, but I don't know. I'd rather have a proper laptop, I think. Well, yeah, they're huge as well. It's a 12-inch screen, so it's like the iPad Pro. I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they are just fucking enormous. So it is laptop territory. I'd rather have an XPS 13 with touch running proper GNU slash Linux than useless Chrome OS, although it's not as useless as it once was is the, the key thing here because with Crostini, you've got the um, Linux apps and you've got Android app support to some extent as well. So it has developed and matured as a platform. Yeah, I'm, I I struggle to understand what their target market is because at this sort of money, you are competing with a, in inverted commas, a real laptop. So who would choose to buy the Chromebook version and uh, add the $200 keyboard to make it into a useful laptop instead of buying a real laptop? I, I don't understand um, the the potential market for this but it's got like a square screen almost as well which most laptops don't have these days it's not it's like isn't it two to one or two to three or so it's a weird aspect ratio so it is a little bit different and the reviews i've seen have been very good but yeah it, you're right will the price is just fucking ludicrous i don't know how they're expecting to charge that much money for it 
that's why I think it's maybe it's more for people who have already become desensitized by the price of like new phones, like yeah. a, a new iPhone or a new or the or the Pixel Three, and it seems to it seems to me that it's trying to appeal to those kind of people. It's like, oh, this is like a huge Pixel 3 phone and I can attach a keyboard to it and then do the same kind of stuff and type my emails and chat on Facebook much easier than I can with my fingers. Rather rather than people who, you know, I, it's it's almost a generational thing in that people use computers to like browse the web and aren't aware that, you know, you actually need RAM and, well, it does have 16 gig of RAM, but... You know, actually need CPUs to do stuff. Oh, it has an i7. That, that's the thing. The sixteen hundred dollar one comes with like a really beefy i7, or well, it's like a yeah. mobile i7, whatever. But it's still fairly beefy. What will you do with that? <laughs> well, I'd install proper Linux on it if I could. Yeah. <laughs> that is the thing. Um, I, I don't. I don't know how well these Linux apps work and how productive you can actually be on it because potentially you could have a mobile workstation here. Yeah with some fun Android apps on it and, you know, maybe even some useful Android apps as well as some Linux apps and then uh, otherwise rock-solid Chrome OS experience. Mm. And, you know, I've used Chrome OS before when it was just a browser and it was, well, there was nothing to go wrong with it. Obviously, it was just completely rock-solid. So I would actually quite like that if... If you could effectively dual boot or get some native Linux and do all the stuff that we're used to in such a nice portable air, aircraft friendly package, then I can see the I can see that being good. But that's not Google's use case. I'm going to stick with a real laptop. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co/lnl. That's for late night Linux, and you can get a hundred dollar credit to get started with sixty days to use it. DigitalOcean offer VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access, and they've got various different distros you can use, Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and even FreeBSD. And they've also got container distros, CoreOS, Fedora Atomic, and Rancher OS. And now you can use your own custom image if you don't want to use one of those distros. You just follow the instructions on the website and get started. But it's not just distros. You've got loads of one-click apps as well, like your basic LAMP and LEMP stacks, and WordPress, and Discourse, and GitLab and loads of others. And these droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to massive monster rigs with ridiculous amounts of RAM and CPUs and storage. And you can attach extra storage to these droplets with either block storage or object storage, whichever one suits you. And again, that scales up to however much you need. And a cool feature they have is cloud firewalls, which blocks traffic at the network level, so it never even reaches your VM. So if you're looking for Linux VMs in data centers all around the world with super fast network and super fast SSD storage, then go to do.co slash LNL. That's do.co slash LNL. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. The Patreon seems to kind of dip towards the end of the month and then slowly creep up again. And it never seems to change. But uh, yeah, go there, um, latenightlinux.com slash support if you want to uh, help us out. And if you want to have an ad-free feed, you just have to pay $5 a month on Patreon. I think there's a way to scam it. That's probably what's happening. I don't know. I think you can, like, get the feed. And why am I saying this? No, <laughs> no, don't scam it. Anyway, uh, if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Uh, and now, like every other podcast, we're on Spotify. Why anyone would choose to use Spotify 
is completely beyond me because it's just a shit show of an app as far as I'm concerned. But it's all about choice and freedom, isn't it? And uh, if you want to use it, then fine, we're on there. Um, right, the Google Plus situation. So it was announced in the last couple of weeks that Google Plus is shutting down in August next year. I mean, Google Plus is just a ghost town anyway now. Um, I have been posting the show links when we do the releases every couple of weeks in there, but I just, uh, I'm losing the will to do it now, knowing that it's going away. I mean, what do you two think? I am sad about the demise of Google Plus, and um, I absolutely understand that it's never been the most popular place, but there are some really nice communities on there, um, like things that I'm a member of on there around uh, Arduino projects and amateur radio projects. Um, they've never seemed to have the same level of trolling that you get on like Reddit and uh, Slashdot and that kind of thing. And I've always found them to be really supportive and friendly and welcoming communities. So, yeah, it's a bit sad that they're going away. But, yeah, ultimately, nobody cared. So such is life. Also, I it's the one thing that myself and my family have used privately to stay in touch, um, you know, with photos and things like that down the years. I've never found a self-hosted free alternative that, that's just so easy to use and effective in terms of posting photos with comments and captions and I'll, I'll miss that as well although I don't think Google did us did it any favors circles were difficult to navigate and difficult to explain to people um, and the takeout stuff only lets you take out your own stuff um, and it's been on the you know on the cards for years we could see that this was coming especially with the way that Google closes down projects but i I wish they'd open source it so that we could run it ourselves. Hmm. Well, we've got several months for that to happen, so you never know, but it seems unlikely. But in the meantime, I'm just abandoning it. I think I might uninstall the app on my phone and just say goodbye, Google+, and uh, free up a bit of space on my home screen. If people are really desperate for us to not fuck Google+, Plus off, then let us know, I suppose, on Google+. Plus. And... Um, <laughs> And yeah, we won't read we'll it. See about, well, I'll, I'll keep it around for a while, and I don't know, plus me. I, it's still a mystery to me how it all works, and it sometimes doesn't display properly and everything, so I'm not going to miss it. And I, I don't feel I need to replace it either, quite frankly. I'm happy with Twitter, and the Telegram group is kind of where it's at, really, if you want to talk to me. Although I never see you two there. So, uh, yeah, it's me and failing, but not you two. I'm there. Just my usual antisocial mm. self. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, last time I talked about my um, photo backing up situation, and it was basically just a brain fart. Loads of people got in touch with loads of different solutions, and it turns out that I was just thinking about it completely wrong. I was thinking about pushing files from my NAS up to the desktop, which is on very, I don't know, periodically, just from time to time. But I think it was the next day, Popey said, just pull them down to the desktop on boot. And I was like, yeah, of course. I just was thinking about it. I just had this like mental block. But yeah, obviously, just a startup script with a um, rsync job on the desktop to pull it down rather than push it up to it. So yeah, that was uh, just a brain fart by me. But thank you, everyone, for getting in touch anyway. But yes, I've got that sorted out now. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. 
and they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04 and soon to be 18.10 as well. And they've got a huge range of machines, affordable laptops that are great for a bit of light web browsing and email, all the way up to real powerhouses with the latest NVIDIA graphics that are ideal for graphic design and 3D art and video editing and machine learning. And they also have a range of desktops and a couple of servers, and almost everything's configurable in terms of CPU, amounts of RAM and storage. So you're bound to find something that suits your budget. And if you can't find exactly what you want on the website, do get in touch with them. They're very friendly and helpful, and they'll sort you out with a custom order. And they ship to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then do mention us at checkout. There's a little drop down there. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right, so we've got an interview now with Jason Evangelo. And he has risen to prominence recently in the community for writing a bunch of articles on Forbes.com about his journey with Linux and how he's uh, installed it and ditched Windows and macOS to some extent. Will and I caught up with him. It feels like a long time ago now. And um, yeah, see if you can spot that I had literally woken up five minutes before we pressed record because I fucked the time up and my body clock's all wrong. Uh, Will, you've been featured in... Uh, one of these articles was it an interview or was he just quoting you or something oh we had a chat with him um well after his first article came out that really the one that blew up and suddenly people sort of sat up and paid attention uh yeah we got in touch and, and had a bit of a chat with him to say well thank first of all thank you for the for the positive words that he had to say about ubuntu um and then yeah just sort of give him some ideas and have a chat about other ideas he had for new articles yeah Right, well uh yeah so i suppose linux from a new user's perspective so uh, without further ado Let's have Jason Evangelo. So it's great to talk to you, Jason. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, I've had the itch to get uh, to be involved in podcasting in some capacity. So <laughs> this is a great first start. Yeah, yeah. So the reason that I wanted to talk to you is that you've been writing these articles for Forbes um, about your journey with Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, so where did all that start? First of all, um, can you tell us a bit about your background, how you got into writing for Forbes and your kind of technical chops in the first place? Uh, I'll have to, I'll have to reduce this a little bit cause it's a, a long, crazy story, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, back in the late, uh, two thousands, I just one day decided, you know, I want to start writing. I want to start some form of journalism. And, uh, I started a little video game blog and uh, got some friends to help me out. And then that evolved into a, a larger uh, gaming website. And then that evolved into a separate, um, uh, you know, consumer tech focused website where we reviewed gadgets and hardware and things like that. And uh, I started writing for College News after that, which is a, a, a magazine um, that, that is distributed, you know, around a bunch of different campuses in the States. And after that, um, I had a friend, his name's Ewan Spence, who writes for Forbes and who alongside me, like back in 2004, uh, mid late 2004 was, was one of the first 30 or 40 podcasters in the world. And that's how we kind of hooked up way back then. And he reconnected with me all these years later and said, Hey, uh, Forbes is looking for a game and tech writer. Um, why don't you, you know, put a CV together and send it to me and I'll send it to our editors. And kind of like magic, uh, it just, I, I had a quick interview and that was, that was, uh, 2012 and I've been writing for Forbes since. Is that full time then? Or do you write for other people as well? I, I pretty much write for Forbes full time. Um, I, you know, I might do, uh, 
freelance uh, projects here and there, but um, honestly, Forbes pays well enough and it keeps me busy enough that I can I can consider it a full time job. So, and in terms of technical chops, um, <laughs> I much like my experience with Linux uh, over the past few months, I had I just. I just dove in head first, you know. I started uh, reviewing graphics cards and 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 PC hardware from the perspective of an enthusiast and not really um, a real technical professional, if if you know what I mean. Not not someone who got really into like the the hardcore architecture and you know pulling apart the motherboard and and all that, like the Tom's hardware and the Anon techs of the world. Uh, and I just I tried to shape it and and frame it um, as as you know a hardware enthusiast talking to other hardware enthusiasts, and it, it just kind of went from there. You just learn by doing. And uh, I, I've mostly done uh, a lot of you know PC and and GPU reviews, but um, also dabble in games a little bit, um, Bluetooth headphones, you know, just kind of whatever interests me. And and the nice thing about Forbes is it is that they give you that flexibility. To, to do that as long as you're roughly in your swim lane, you know. And so you did this one article about Linux that did really well. And they said, right, write some more about that then. They didn't. They actually didn't. I, I decided that on my own. All right. <laughs> uh, they have, I mean, they have very few, uh, there's, there's very little editorial oversight there. Uh, and I don't say that in terms of, it doesn't mean there's lack of quality. It just means, uh, you know, once they bring you on board, they trust that you know what you're doing and you can just kind of guide your own content and dictate your own content. But what I noticed, and I'll probably have to backtrack and explain why I started doing this in the first place, but what I noticed when I started covering Linux, um, and, you know, this is after writing at Forbes for six years um, and covering a, a really broad range of of topics, Right. I, I started noticing these were doing really, really well. And, you know, of course, the perception is, you know, well, Linux is like this, you know, barely used operating system. It's this hobbyist, you know, thing. And But how, how are 200,000 people reading this article right now? And as I continued, I noticed that not only was that content really resonating with people, but it's generated the most engagement on, on Twitter and Facebook and I have somehow, over like three months, gathered this really awesome community around around myself and around this content. And so that's really encouraged me to just keep going and keep diving in and keep learning and keep educating and keep uh, kind of evangelizing, really. Yeah, what I really liked about the um, the approach that you took with that first article was that you you came to it saying, you know, I'm not an idiot. I know what I'm doing, but I I don't know what I'm doing with Linux. So here we go. Co- you know, follow <laughs> along, see see how right. it goes. But the um, the way that you put it together and the way that it was um, targeted made it really yeah resonate with people. I think that they said, yeah, here is somebody coming to our um, community, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're willing to invest a bit of time and energy. They don't expect it to just all work out of the box. They expect a few bumps along the road, and they've got over them. And this is exactly the story we want to be telling. So it was uh, it was really thrilling to read that story and uh, and get that opinion from somebody who came at it with the right ideas in their mind. Thank you. And I mean, it's it's been mostly a, an incredibly rewarding journey. You know, there have been some snags, there have been some challenges, but I just hit this tipping point with Windows where. I was so frustrated with the constant reboots and the Windows updates and the Cortana nags and the it just every time I booted up my machines and I used several, 
um, it, it was just this, you know, endless parade of annoyance. <laughs> Isn't that when people normally buy a Mac, though? Perhaps. Um, I, I, I also use a Mac, but I, I use it exclusively for, um, for music production. And you didn't fancy using that as your full-time machine then? Not really. Um, and the reason is because it is still kind of a second-class citizen when it comes to gaming. What, less so or more so than Linux? Probably more so than Linux now, right? With the with the uh, the advent of Proton, and I, I'm I'm actually still trying to kick the Mac OS habit, but that's been that's been difficult. But uh, yeah, I just decided like enough is enough, and I had used I had used like Red Hat and uh, you know some of the more uh, well the the older uh, I guess more original. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, old school, shall we say? Old school, sure. The old school Linux distributions, and man, those were those were a headache. I mean, you know, back in like the mid two thousands, right? Um, and that was interesting, but not something I saw myself living with, right? Uh, so I had this. That's the perception of Linux desktop that I had, and um, I just thought, well, you know, I'm sure it's evolved. Let's try it out, and. Fortunately, I had an XPS 13 and I saw that, um, you know, Ubuntu was obviously very well supported on that. And uh, after trying Mint, uh, I did I did start with Mint because a lot of people recommended that because it's uh, a bit more familiar to, to Windows users as far as interface. And the only reason I, I didn't opt for that is it uh, didn't detect my um, internal hard drive during the installation process. Yeah, it's a funny one, that. I'm not sure why that was, but... It is. It's really strange. I've done it since then, and it, it, it's worked beautifully out of the box. So I'm not sure what the hang-up there was. But, you know, the, the process of, of doing this for myself personally and writing an article around it, I just decided I'm going to choose the distro that installs and works flawlessly out of the box, and that was Ubuntu. And uh, I've been using that ever since for the last three months, um, off and on, I've been distro hopping a bit, you know, Ubuntu Budgie and uh, Kubuntu and Ubuntu Studio. And I, I do keep kind of falling back to Ubuntu because it's just really stable and just kind of works. And it just gets out of my way. So you haven't installed Arch yet then? No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have installed Manjaro though. Okay. So I'm getting my feet wet there, you know, I'm, I'm getting used to the package manager a little bit and, and kind of preparing. <laughs> yeah. And have you tried other non-Ubuntu-based distros then? Uh, I tried Elementary. I actually wrote a kind of a first impressions piece on Elementary. That did shockingly well. And uh, I really, really enjoyed my time with it. And I've, I've been recommending it to people who are looking to ditch Mac OS. Yeah. Um, because it's just elegant, you know? And it's just, I, I like the fact that you can't actually get in there and, and tweak it that much. And the, you know, that just that first boot is so beautiful and it just kind of works. So what are some of the bad points then with Linux? Because it's not all roses, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. Predominantly, yes. But uh, I told myself, I'm obviously going down this rabbit hole. I, you know, the, the majority of the content I'm writing at Forbes now is centered around Linux. Um, I'm learning a lot. I'm enjoying myself. You know, I'm, uh, it seems like I've been uh, talking a lot of people into trying it, which makes me feel great. And I thought, you know, I can't really, I can't really uh, talk the talk if I don't walk the walk completely. So my last, the sort of the last frontier, you know, the last huge hurdle was, well, can I ditch Mac OS and actually create my music with Linux? And uh, I, you know, I'd obviously heard about Ubuntu Studio 
And so I installed that and I spent the better part of a week, uh, several hours a day, just trying to get the audio to perform properly, you know, without, without latency, without stutters and crackles and, you know, and that was using Jack for people who know about Jack. Um, that was using Jack with a low latency kernel and, you know, fully updated distribution and a Threadripper CPU and 32 gigs of RAM. So <laughs> it definitely wasn't the hardware that was at fault. Um, I took a lot of suggestions from people on Twitter. That's what, that's what I love about the community is I can have this little tiny problem and I'll get 50 replies. Here's how to fix it. Here's where to go. Here's the resource you need. That just makes me smile every time. Ultimately, I, I haven't given up on it, but I was so frustrated because I was, I was spending my time troubleshooting instead of creating, you know? And so I took the same, like the core, um, two pieces of software that I was using with Ubuntu Studio. That's uh, Ardor and um, Hydrogen, right? Ardor is the, the digital audio workstation and Hydrogen is the uh, drum sequencer. I installed those on my Mac and I just got to work like 30 minutes later. So I didn't even need Jack. I was just using uh, Core Audio, the, the, you know, whatever the, the Mac's uh, audio driver is built in, just using Core Audio you know, had several tracks lined up and it was just, it just worked. It just worked. And I, I was sincerely hoping that Ubuntu Studio would just work for me. I really wanted to tell that story, but I think that, um, that probably professional audio, uh, in my admittedly, you know, limited experience with Linux, uh, might be its biggest downfall right now. And probably the only downfall, the only downfall to me, uh, you know, gaming is is brilliant. Um, everything is brilliant. I'm doing everything else with Linux. And that's just the one thing I can't do. Well, media production is a bit hit and miss generally. I mean, have you tried video editing? Yeah, I've done, uh, what, I, I don't know how to, I think it's uh, Caden Live. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, Caden Live, yeah. Yeah, I've actually done just a couple gameplay videos that I've put together. Um, I just used that and it was it was intuitive, easy to use, didn't have any, you know, any errors or crashes. It's, it's probably kind of a, a basic uh, video editing tool, but it works for me. So I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot of other people have success with, uh, what's it called, DaVinci? Yeah, and there's OpenShot as well, which is a very simple um, one, which is what I tend to use. Because my video editing requirements are very limited usually. It's usually just sort of top and tail sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, the odd edit here and there, the odd title card, something like that. Right. But um, yeah, it's, I'm not, I don't need sort of avid style um, editing. How have you found Linux to be better? Is it that it doesn't bother you about updates as often? Is it that it doesn't need rebooting as often? Is it that um, you have this extra layer of configurability? Or is it just, you know, it works and it's free? You know, what's the, is, if there was one thing that, that you think is a reason for people to switch, what would it be? I would rule out the free part. I would be happy to pay for a Linux distribution. I know that, that that's an option for, for many distributions. Uh, so we can rule out the money aspect. I, I think that for me, it's how it's almost everything you mentioned, you know, it's the fact that you have, you have snaps and, you know, uh, packages that you install from, you know, the, the app center and system updates and security updates, and they all seamlessly update together. And you don't have these, you know, 50 different nags coming from all the software you have installed. Hey, please update me, please update me. You know, oh, you took too long to reboot, so we're going to do it for you. Sorry you lost that 350 gigabyte transfer, but, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you should have listened to us next time. 
Uh, <laughs> and it's the, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the insane level of um, customization for me as well. It's the fact that I can just completely give my Linux desktop a makeover at will in, in all aspects. And um, I know a lot of people don't want to do that and that's fine, but I love that the option is there. So it's, yeah, for me, it's the stability and it's, um, it's how streamlined the, the operating system feels compared to windows and, and how lean it feels compared to windows, you know, that's, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And, and using my XPS 13 as an example, I got this system from Dell to review and, um, I had, I had constant issues with the, the audio cutting out and the Wi-Fi dropping out. And I've, I've not had one issue <laughs> with Ubuntu 18.04 on the same system. What, the same exact hardware? The same exact hardware, the same laptop, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Wi-Fi is always stable. Audio has been great. Um, the only problem I've experienced, you know, on a rare occasion is uh, it won't sleep when I close the lid. But that's, that's it. It's been just rock solid. You mentioned one of the good things about your experience was the feedback that you were getting from the community via Twitter and that sort of thing. Have you noticed the tendency or indeed is it does it exist out there this tendency for everybody to pile on and tell you that uh, you know you're starting in the wrong place or you don't want to do it that way or have you found the community to be actually very helpful both? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to use Ubuntu. You want to be using X, Y, and Z distro. Oh, it's 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 both. You know, it's uh, you, you definitely have people who are passionate about their distribution, right, and passionate about their software. And uh, I, but I haven't really I haven't really noticed anyone criticizing me for my choices, but instead saying you should really check this out. You know, uh, you, you should really check out Elementary, or you should check out. Um, Bitwig or, you know, just, uh, I mean, name your, you know, software for category here. And, and that's what they um, are passionate about. And that's what they think that I should be using. I I've tried a lot of stuff. I've actually, I've got a list. I mean, every single time someone suggests anything on Twitter, I've, I write it in a list and it's stuff I'm actually trying to get to just to, just to get some more knowledge, you know, and just to get some more experience. Reading the replies to your tweet, there seemed to be a sizable number of people who were, as you say, on the sidelines, sort of waiting to dip their toe in the water and, and needed an independent observer to say to them, it's safe, come on in. Uh, and people really seem to have gone with it. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And um, I think, in fact, I would say pretty confidently that a lot of those people watching from the sidelines are gamers. And when, uh, I guess my jump into Linux came at a very opportune time <laughs> mm. because it was, you know, about the same time that Valve introduced Proton. And I think that really changed the game. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, my, my comments on Twitter, if you look on Linux for noobs on Reddit or something like that, it's every day there's people going, I made the switch, I'm making the switch, I'm making the switch. And it's almost always, at least in my field of view, it's almost always about gaming. Because that was kind of the last, um, the last big hurdle for most people was that Linux was not a uh, what they considered to be a viable gaming platform, and you know as you guys know it's not it is a viable gaming platform, but it's certainly not a platform that you can install every Windows game that you have and run them carefree without any any issues, right? But it's getting there really quickly. So I, I guess this is a this is a joke in the Linux world. Um, is this the year of the? Uh, is 2018 the year of desktop Linux? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of been a joke for 20 years. Yeah. 
But it does actually feel like this might be the year because of this proton thing. I think you, we and well, I don't know. Really, uh, Chrome OS has been um, you know that has heralded um, the the year of Linux on the desktop because that is uh, Linux based and you know essentially Linux underneath. But it's not sort of GNU slash Linux as we know it, right? I, I don't know. Do, does that? Um, I, I said that in a Stallman like way. I mean, do do you know of people like Stallman? Oh, so, I'm sorry. Say that again. Do I know of people like who? Richard Stallman. No, I, I don't actually. Good. That's a, that's a good sign. <laughs> Woo, pass the test. <laughs> yeah, well, Richard Stallman is, um, he started the free software movement. Um, I mean, that, that's another thing as well. I mean, do you care about free software, open source, terms like that? Or is it just Linux and it's just a, a practical, um, you know, what, why do, do you care about the freedom aspect of it? Or is it just because it's better than Windows and Mac? My honest answer is I'm starting to care. I didn't care initially, and now I am starting to care, and I'm starting to appreciate, you know, what open source is about and what free software is about. And when I can, I'm trying to advocate for that. You know, I'm I'm starting to understand the advantages. Um, but at the same time, I, I also recognize that uh, there are. You know, there there's commercial software that we will not be able to escape from anytime soon. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Um, you've mentioned um, professional audio production tools that are not available, but um, most people throughout their um, life of using computers tend to kind of rely on a few obscure applications here and there. Um, and there are often equivalents on Linux, but mm-hmm. have you come into any others that you could really do with? Honestly, no. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, then again, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a graphics professional, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, guy who does, you know, hardcore video editing or Photoshop or things like that. And there are alternatives, but I do talk to people every day who just swear by Adobe Premiere yeah. or the entire, you know, Adobe cloud suite. And they just like, no, I'm not using anything else. I've been using this for 10 years. I'm used to it. I'm familiar with it. It's comfortable and it works. So, um, it, it would be interesting to me to see if, it, you know, we lived in a world where Adobe ported those products over to Linux. What would happen? Well, I've often wondered about that. Yeah, and would would you see more people adopting Linux? And at the same time, would you see so such a huge vocal outcry of, you know, just this uh, this intrusion of commercial software on on Linux, and that's why people are <laughs> switching to it? I don't know. But no, there's there's really nothing in the in the Windows world that I can't live without. Um, Steam is you know Steam Play. Steam would have been the one. Um, I can live without, you know, I can live without Fortnite. <laughs> I, can, I can live without uh, the Windows Store, you know. <laughs> um, but I, again, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not everyone. Yeah, well, you can only tell your own story. And it sounds like it's been very successful. And it sounds like you're going to stick with Linux long term then. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the plan. Um, I... <laughs> I, it's it's I don't know how to describe it besides saying that I, I almost feel addicted, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, I feel addicted to it, you know. It's like oh my oh there's a new oh eight, Ubuntu eighteen point ten is out. I got to try that. Oh the new elementary you know elementary Juno's coming out. I got to try that. You guys were you guys were talking about Haiku OS. I want to try that. <laughs> yeah, constantly distro hopping and trying all this all these new things, and it's uh, it's it's both overwhelming and and exciting. I think that's actually why Linux has been so awesome for me is because I feel excited about computing again. I feel like my personal computer is personal again. 
So one thing that I've got to ask you about is uh, the command line, the terminal. How <laughs> often have you needed to use it and have you wanted to use it? I started out not wanting to use it, right? Um, I was scared of it. And I think an interesting transformation is happening <laughs> to where I know I don't have to use the command line with Ubuntu. I don't have to use it with elementary, but I'm, I'm starting to discover that it's actually faster at certain things. You know, for example, uh, before, uh, before you started recording this interview, Hey, can you, you know, can you install audacity? I'm like, sure. You know, sudo <laughs> app install audacity. Okay. Done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rather than opening a GUI, open a, yeah, open a GUI, search for it, click install, Type in my password, you know, no, just boom. But you think that you could get away without using it then? <sighs> I think uh, in my own experience, I think there is one big exception. Um, and that is, you know, for example, on a gaming machine, um, if I, if I want to use Proton, right, if I want to use Steam Play on a, a Linux gaming system, I have to add the uh, NVIDIA or AMD repositories to get the very latest drivers. I have to, as far as I know, I have to do that via the command line to get better performance and to get the, the latest drivers. So for me, that's been the only like crucial need for a terminal. Is that right, Will? Do you have to add a PPA or something? Yeah, you do at the moment uh, because it's not an official, well, they're like the latest upstream kernels are literally upstream kernels. Uh, we do have a PPA for them, but you know, they're not... Um, they're not something we want to put in the hands of mortals that because it's it could well become a self-destruct button. Ah, okay. Um, that said, for for like the latest Nvidia drivers, uh, we have some plans cooking there. So watch this space. Oh, I want to hear about that. I want to hear about that. <laughs> that would be really cool. Really cool. Um, yeah. So that's really been the only absolute necessity that I that I've you know that I've had for for using the command line. Um, so I think once once you can just install Ubuntu or you know any Ubuntu derivative or you know any any Linux distribution and have a, a GUI to automatically update to the latest version, that would be fantastic for a lot of people. A lot of people. Right. Well, we've probably taken up enough of your time today, and we're very grateful for that. Um, if people want to hassle you on Twitter or whatever, what, how do they find you? Uh, yeah, on Twitter, uh, that's pretty much my my social media mainstay um it's uh at kill your fm k-i-l-l-y-o-u-r-f-m on twitter and uh that's about it i mean i'm always there so if you want to talk to me just reach out to me there and i'm uh i, I try to always respond to everybody yeah well it worked for me so uh, <laughs> it did <yeah>, recommended <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I hopefully will speak to you again at some point when you're a little bit further down the road into Linux and you've got some more cynicism, which I'm <laughs> sure will come. Are you, are you hoping for that? <laughs> Is it inevitable? Is that what's... Uh... Well, we'll see. You'll, you'll eventually stop distro hopping and... Uh, probably. Know, well, maybe probably. not. There's people who still do that. I mean, you got to remember, I, I kind of am doing it for, for both personal, you know, personal knowledge and, and for work. Yeah. So... It keeps me, it keeps me uh, motivated. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll have plenty to write about for many years to come. Hope so. I really like that. I, you know, I don't want to be cynical, but it's so refreshing to hear someone excited um, for all the right reasons, for the reasons I'm sure all of us got, back, got into Linux back in the day. Um, and it's, it's great to hear someone enjoying the adventure. One thing that I found interesting was I asked him about whether he tried any non-Ubuntu-based distros, and he said elementary which, of course, we know is based on Ubuntu, but the new user 
doesn't necessarily think about that. And um, I, I don't know what it means, but I, it just was of note to me that he didn't realize that. And, you know, it's not his fault at all because they don't advertise it. You know, it is on the site, on the elementary site, if you kind of dig down and, you know, it says that it's based on, uh, you know, GNU, Linux and, you know, Debian and Ubuntu and all that. But it's just interesting that that is significantly different and it's different enough that you wouldn't realize that it was based on Ubuntu. So, um, yeah, we may be hearing more from elementary soon. Hmm, I wonder what might happen there. But uh, we may talk about that next time. We'll have to see. But uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks then. In the meantime, I've been Joe. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Thank you.